Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to the 81st episode of Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Join poor old Graham McMillan and I for two-plus hours of comic book audio chalk talk. Our topics include The Silence of Our Friends by Nate Powell and Mark Long, Shooters by Steve Lieber, Brandon Jirwa, and Eric S. Troutman, Friends with Boys by Faith Aaron Hicks, Digital Comics and Infinite Comics, Spaceman Issues 4 and 5, the Wednesday Comics hardcover, Roy Thomas, Steve Englehart, and Joe Casey. Jim Shooter's Legion of Superheroes, New Dead Guardians number one, Avengers vs. X-Men number zero, Scarlet by Brian Bennis and Alex Maliev, and the proverbial much, much more. Hope you enjoy, and as always, thanks for listening. Jeff Lester, welcome to Thursday, except for the listeners, it's Tuesday. Welcome to a day that starts with D. Go! Sadly, I, I think it'll be interesting to see if Skype really cut out on you for the end of your uh, trademark uh, thing. But that was very inspiring call to action. The best part was when I was saying it, I was actually doing like pointy fingers at your little... <laughs> it's awesome. It was like, I'm pointing at you and getting you fired up. Are you fired up, Jeff Lester? Are you? Are you fired up? Let's go. There we go. I I am fired up. And also, you're not cutting out. So that's also a sign of additional firing for me. See? Something is firing. Maybe yes. Skype. Maybe it's your Wi-Fi. Who knows? It's true. The Wi-Fi is weird. Um, the, 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 the people in the apartment next door have moved out, and the landlord has sprayed epoxy along the baseboard. So if I start gibbering more than usual uh, <laughs> or I just pass out... It would be awesome if you could maybe wait, call wait. Edie on the other I, line. I, I thought it was the cleanse that was making you crazy. See, yeah, the cleanse. This is the other thing, listeners. I am now, this is day five of a 10-day master cleanse, so I have not had any solid food since Saturday night. Uh, that's making me dumb, and but I have to say the, the fumes from next door may be making me even more dumb, which I couldn't I couldn't be happier about. Like, there's so many reasons... Right now, Graham, between that and the bad Wi-Fi and the master cleanse for my end of the line just to go dead and for you never to find out why. it's just So what you're saying is this could be the greatest podcast ever. It really is. We could could break through to even new levels of candor that would have terrified us even just a week ago. So, hey, tell me of comics. Um, I have only read one comic from this week because I've been reading comics from the past and the future this week. Oh, man, you do um, this thing. Okay. No, I, I guess then a bunch of things from First Second, mm-hmm. uh, which have all been great, have all been really good. But in particular, The Silence of Her Friends, which came out in January and completely passed me by. Have you heard about this? No, no. Okay, it's, uh, the let's see. What does it say? In 1960s Texas, a white family from a notoriously racist neighborhood and a black family from its poorest ward cross Houston's color line, overcoming humiliation, degradation, and violence to win the freedom of five black college students unjustly charged with the murder of a policeman. Good lord. It is based on the true story. Mm-hmm. The true story is co-written by the son of the white lead character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is drawn by Nate Powell, and it is no joke something that I can't believe people are not just losing their shit over continually. It is amazing. Huh. 
it is so good and no one seems to know that it's out including me right, right, <laughs> i was right. like this is great i can't wait till this comes out and then i was like oh it's been out for three months huh uh, and this was <clears throat> the publisher was for a second on this or yeah wow huh i had no <clears throat> idea yeah it's really 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 good huh well i um i'll have to figure out a way to snag myself a copy that sounds terrific yeah, it's it's. I hope I'm. I hope it's in a library or something. But um, yeah, it's it's anyone who likes. I was going to say nonfiction comics, but doesn't read like nonfiction. If that makes sense, because there's mm-hmm. like nonfiction comics that are like you know, and then this happened, and then this happened, and right. then this happened. Um, and I've been reading some of those this week as well. But this this is just this is wonderful in a really weird way. What I want to say it reminds me of is Zodiac. The David Fincher movie. Ah, oh, thank you. I'm like the graphic novel, and then I'm like the Avengers villains, and then <laughs> the it just—it really reminds me of the Avengers films. No, the David Fincher uh, Zodiac, oh, in that it takes a real life event mm-hmm. and creates a very convincing and yet respectful narrative around it, where the leads are fallible, but also you can understand. Why they did what they did, and they also managed to be heroic. Right. I, 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 I just, I think it's an amazing, amazing book. That sounds, uh, that really sounds terrific. Um, from first second, okay. I, so, unfortunately, I can't really bounce against that. I'm like, well, sounds great. I, I can tell you what else I've got because really, the only thing I've read that came out this week is Avengers X Men, which I. We can, we can talk about it once I got through all the serious books. Sure, there. absolutely. By all means. Um, I've got and haven't finished Shooters, which is coming out from Vertigo next month, mm-hmm. which is um, Steve Lieber's drawing it, Brandon Jeroba and Eric Troutman are co-writing, hmm. which I want to say might be another based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Let me look this up. Um, it is, let's see, the unofficial homepage... By the way, I did mention that I could be really, really stupid on this podcast, right? Between everything. No, that, that's what I want. I want you okay. to just, <laughs> I want you to just completely lose your shit. Okay, so you did say Steve Lieber, right? Steve Lieber, yes. Okay, thank you. Sorry for some reason, and this is the weirdest associative jump ever. I'm like, huh? Steve Leffler? Like, I don't know if you remember Steve Leffler, but he was. <laughs> I really do. I honestly, you said that. I was like, like Robin Leffler, the Star Trek. <laughs> Steve Leffler drew a comic uh, called Dog Boy, I think. Um, he was here, uh, gosh, he may still well be in the bear. But, um, he was like kind of the alternative guy who likes self-publishing his stuff, like back in the 80s. And so you'd see him in like anything approaching a Comic-Con, he'd be there with his book. Seemed like the nicest, sweetest guy. Steve Laffler, sorry. L-A-F-L-A-R-E. But Steve Lieber, also the nicest, sweetest guy. Maybe it's guys who are called Steve Le- and working comics. Yeah, Steve Le- yeah, absolutely. Steve Lightly, who like uh, drew Legion of Superheroes, probably the most awesome guy ever. Exactly. He's probably a lovely guy as well. That, yeah. That's okay. We've just discovered that. Anyway, shooters, because I've just looked it up. Yes. Uh, follows the career of Terry Glass, uh, chief warrant officer in the United States Army and a well trained special forces operator during the early days of post 9 11 military actions in Iraq. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's military fiction, which is not really my wheelhouse at all. Mm-hmm. But I'm finding myself surprisingly drawn into it. Yeah, I, I think that would. That- 
a little closer to my wheelhouse, I would be quite interested to read that. Um, so there's that. I got also from our second fr- uh, Friends with Boys, the new Faith Aaron Hicks book. Oh, yeah. Great. We could talk about that. Have you read it? Yes. I loved it. Did you like it? I liked it. Well, here's the thing. I did uh I kind of I kind of pulled uh what might might properly be called a dick move with regards to uh Friends with Boys. Faith Erin Hicks like her work that I've seen online, bits and pieces of it. And so she had sent the announcement, I think, out on the, the Twitters, which somebody had forwarded, saying that, you know, her book was coming out like the next day and it was the last day that you could read the entire storyline for free online. Which and is I was what like, you did. You're like, I'm yeah. sitting there for an hour and reading the whole thing online. That is exactly what I did. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I read it and I have uh, I have feelings about it in that I thought that um, there were parts that I enjoyed about it tremendously. I'm fascinated by the way it kind of reminded me of weird. It struck me as weirdly similar to um, some of Hope Larson's stuff a lot. You know, I, yeah, um, I can see that. Did it strike you as weirdly reminiscent of Joe the Barbarian, or is that just me? Oh, interesting. Not so much for me, but I have to admit that Joe the Barbarian. I think I wandered off around issue three, and then have been meaning to sit down and read all the issues. To be perfectly it. fair, I think you wandered off. I think you'd seen the best of Joe the Barbarian by that point. Really, I, I really don't think Joe the Barbarian came together well at all. Oh, jeez. I'm I'm sort of sorry to hear that because, you know, because the talent involved was kind of tremendous. Well, it continued but... to look beautiful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but story-wise, mm. it, A, didn't need to be that long, and mm-hmm. B, I really think it could have done with an editor saying, you know what? You're not being very clear with this. You mm. you need to go back and, and do another pass. Interesting. But then I think you could make that argument of almost everything Grammars has written in quite some time. Well, yeah, I guess that's probably true. Although, hmm, I'm I'm even willing to concede that he can and should work in like two modes, I guess, you know, in in which his more oblique mode works sometimes, but I could see with Joe the Barbarian that it would not necessarily serve him well in that regard. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he was already trying to be very ambitious in terms of the way that he was layering realities, and in a way that I don't think um, shortcutting would have done him any favors. I mean, at least that's how I felt while reading it, certainly. So, um, uh, right. So jumping back to what? Well, so Face with Boys. Interestingly enough, I enjoyed, but it was one of those books, kind of like Raina Tamelger's Smile, where. I felt like it was kind of like, oh, that's a good first book. That's kind of like, oh, this is a good first novel by somebody who shows promise, who I'm looking forward to seeing more of. I love her drawing style. I love the, I love the, 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 the amount of care with which she puts into crafting her characters. Um, but I also thought that the story souffled on me a little bit and you know it just kind of collapsed in on itself rather than sort of finished in a way I found super satisfying mm-hmm. so that's I mean that's me not not so much like they she she manages to pull I don't know how would you how would you synopsize the book because it might be helpful for the readers I think uh, how would I synopsize the book mm-hmm Honestly, I'd probably stay away from the plot as such because I think the plot I also think the plot souffles a bit yeah, but uh, what what deal. really made the book work for me was the emotional 
mm-hmm. veracity of it. Like I, I very much, I don't know if empathize is the right word, but I very much felt what the main characters were going through. It is about, is her name Maggie? Yes. Maggie, a girl who goes to high school after years of being homeschooled. The reason she's switching to high school and not being homeschooled is that her mother has left her family. She has four brothers who are already in high school um, and feels emotionally distant from all of them. She believes her family is falling apart and she has to rebuild her social circle at the same time as dealing with the loss of her mother. Right. I I think ghosts thrown in there, which I think is somewhat important for the... Yes, purposes of 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 mentioning the plot, yeah, and um, I, yeah, it just it was one of those situations where there were just I don't know it, there were things that were brought up in ways that I was like, oh, this should be like I'm still trying to figure out why it's called friends with, friends with boys, you know? I mean, it's a great title, I think, but considering everything that goes on with in the book, it's not it's not entirely accurate. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't fit right. It's a good title that doesn't quite fit for me. Okay. You know? I mean, and I'm I, not, no, I don't I, mean I, that it is this, but... No, you but know, I'm look. like... But it kind of does, because it's, it's, it's not really just about Maggie as much as Maggie's brother's relationships with each other and with their friends, who are almost all boys, and Maggie, Maggie's relationship with the brother of the first friend she makes at school. Yes. So I mean, I, I think I think in a weird way it is outside of the relationship with Maggie and her mother, who isn't in the book, mm-hmm. and Maggie and the ghost who stands in for her mother. Yes. I think every relationship in the book is a someone and male relationship. So friends with boys totally works for me in that level. Well, I guess. I mean, I don't know how to describe. It. I think part of the problem was, yeah. I just, I was like, well, it's. I, I, I was like, well, I can see it's friends with boy, <laughs> friends with boy. I can see, but once it gets to boys, I don't know. It's just as weird. Like, there's just a number of things that that like the books got as I think as I think first books often do, um, like just a lot of. Um, sort of wit and joy and largesse to it but but like I was thinking about it and, and like the homeschooling thing which I find such a fascinating angle doesn't really get played out at all like in a way the family could have just moved from a different town you know after the family had split I guess except mm-hmm. except there's these layers of history going on with some of her older brothers and some of the characters in the book and there's also the fact that she is socially inept for want of a better way of putting it because she has never been in a surrounding with that many strangers yeah, she's always been in this, the cocoon of homeschooling yeah but the cocoon of homeschooling I guess the thing that's interesting to me is is that set up and then it never really plays out dramatically you know what I mean like she seems inert pretty much through the book like I don't necessarily think that again it's a problem other than like there's that weird like oh I'm you know I've been homeschooled I'm going to this school I'm really worried about it or brothers are like ah you'll be fine it's just a thing that you get used to and then you see a lot of her sort of walking around there's some really lovely graphic stuff where she like her annotated map as she learns her way that around the school that I thought was fantastic. Yeah, especially that it updates throughout the book, which I exactly. Really yeah, that part was great as she gets to know the school more. But that struck me as also a very uh, convenient dramatic shorthand for 
like her getting to know the school, you don't really see her gain more. Fr- like I was like, okay, so when's the point where she like gets befriended by lots of boys, you know? And I, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't mean that. I mean, obviously, I'm being pretty dense because there's a variety of things that were introduced in there. Like for example, the ghost, where you're like, oh, okay, this seems like this is a more interesting way to go. Um, but it just it, it it had a level of expectations that it set up that it didn't necessarily deliver on, and it became more about this other story that I felt she sort of developed or grew very organically as she shaped it, which is hey, fine. Here's and, something that I that it says in the back of the book that I was fascinated by. Mm-hmm. Faith Aaron Hicks was homeschooled and has three older brothers. Yes, right. Right, which she's very clear about, because when you read it on the website, she has annotations at the bottom of a lot of pages. Oh, I see. I would have loved that. I would have loved that. You really would have enjoyed reading this on a page-by-page basis in that regard, I think, because it is. It's like it's it's like getting you know um, creator commentary on a DVD, you know, on a page-by-page basis. Although at the same time, I can't imagine not reading this as a book, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. if this was being posted page by page. Mm-hmm. I I probably would have dropped off. I would have too. Like I I, too. I, I think there. I, I say this is someone who really liked the book, but it, mm-hmm. there's not a strong enough narrative thrust on a page by page basis to make me think this is a destination. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's one, of, and you know, I feel that way about a lot of sort of page by page web comics, like authors that I really adore, like you know, Carlos Speed McNeil. Once she disappeared, you know, did find her on the web. It was a mess for me. It was just I was like, this is no way to read Carlos Speed McNeil. Oh, it, like, that, that's the problem. Like web comics are their own thing and have their own structure. Mm-hmm. And when yeah. people are like, I'm just going to put my comic up on the web, page by page. Yeah. Oh God, no. Because yeah, yeah, the pacing is so entirely different that it's, it's so clear to, to suddenly just go. I love this thing as a print comic. I hate it as a web comic. It's right. gotten bad, right? As opposed right. to they've just, they're speaking different languages or yeah, different accents of the same language or something. It's a different beast. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you could say it's the difference between listening to. Um, well, you know, uh, listening to an album on a single by single basis is is completely different from listening to the album all at once. And sadly for me, the the web comics in that format actually feels like listening to an album sort of, you know, chorus by chorus almost. Yeah, that's like, come back it, tomorrow it, to hear the next. You know, because because it's not like a single because a single is a thing in mm-hmm. and of itself. Exactly. Whereas if you're literally getting like Finder page by page, just does not work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I saw on Twitter today that um, uh, Tom Scioli's American Barbarian is being released uh, by Ad House Books. The rumor was, at least through somebody posting on Tumblr, that it might be coming out next week, even though Amazon's got a date of uh, of May 8th or something like that. And I was like, oh, my God, because various people had sent me pages from American Barbarian that I love so much uh, for listeners who don't necessarily know Tom Scioli is the artist who uh, draws Godland with Joe Casey um, which is actually something I want to come back to later and also drew the myth of uh, the myth of Oedipus which I had bought way back when when he self-published it hugely inspired by Jack Kirby and manages to take 
take a Kirby riff and do really wonderful things with it. And one of the things that's great with Scioli is because he came to Kirby really late. He's much younger than me. He was like reading Devil Dinosaur was like his first Kirby experience. So he actually works at a much um, rougher, more primitive uh, Kirby-esque influence, and it's delightful. So American Barbarian really does look like somebody trying to draw Kirby as if Kirby was drawing Thundar the Barbarian after it had been shot through a blender of the Dukes of Hazard. And I'm just like... <laughs> and and I was like, this is the comic I've been dying to read for years! And like within three pages in, I'd be like, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's not... It's It's... I don't have the willpower for this, you know. No, but it's but think about like it. Like Chinese Ma- water torture. But imagine someone was like, "Okay, I've found a brand new Kirby issue of Commandy, mm-hmm. but I'm going to put it up page by page." Right. That could be the greatest thing ever, and you know, you and I would both be like, "A brand new Kirby issue of Commandy. This will be right. awesome." I couldn't right. read that page by page. I could no. not. No, it would exactly. be terrible. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because the because the way that it again, the way in which it's designed. I think even when Cioli was thinking like, "Okay, I'm going to do stuff that's going to work, try and work as its own web page." I'm just like it. It doesn't. It didn't work for me anyway, so I'm super excited that it's being collected. And Faith Heron Hicks's book, I have to say, reading it on the web when it was fully complete and I could go all the way through and not even bother with the page, the comments at the bottom until I felt like flipping through on some other stuff was so great. Um, it was really um, that was that was kind of the ideal way to read it on the web. But yeah, I really have to give people props for having the patience to to follow something like that page by page and bit by bit you know well here's the thing though with web comics in general do you not wait a while and then go and read them in a batch that's the only way i can read the uh, ruckus ineffable aether yeah I, I i can't read it when it's newly updated on a regular basis or even right. buckle i ended up leaving buckle for a while and then yeah. coming back after there's been a few weeks right um for most of those strips, I would say yes. Uh, and in fact, but the, but the problem is I tend to forget. Like the few strips that I tend to read very regularly, and admittedly there's there's very few of them, but it's like, you know, Akewood is its own satisfying weird thing on its own. Um, Menage a Three, of course, which is my huge all-time webcomic favorite, works as a daily strip, even though it's three times a week. PVP, Penny Arcade, like I'm pretty blah in my taste. Hark of Vagrant, of course, Kate Beaton's work is all relatively self-contained. Um, so for me, not so much. I mean, admittedly, I don't know if I would have gotten hooked on Menage a 3 if I'd picked it up at Strip 3, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. but yeah, I'm already having this problem with Cocotte, which I think we, we talked about um, where it's like I made the mistake of catching it at like week two or three and I'm like, oh man, this seems like such an awesome, I can't wait to read it. Click, click. Okay, where's, that's it? You know, and even now. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. I'm th- what the fuck? How long do I have to wait for this? You know, and and even now it's like, like they put up another new page, I think last week or something. I'm still completely caught up, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it, it really is a, a weird, interesting way to do things. You know, it kind of makes me think. Um, I do wonder if, like, the everyone talks about the future, about webcomics being the future. And, of course, there are people, successful webcomic artists who have made the medium its own thing. But I sometimes wonder if it's going to be this odd 
um, sort of the same way that the uh, American U.S. comic book was kind of a thing that was kind of created piecemeal, like a, an assembly line to allow people to, you know, poop out a comic book issue faster than just if an individual cartoonist was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, makes me wonder if, like, maybe that's going to be the way that web comics are going to quote unquote work, at least once they try to move up to the again, quote-unquote, larger level. Like, it's either got to be, like, very one person doing a devoted thing, working at it, working their fucking ass off at it, or it somehow gets to be a situation where there's enough growth potential in there that you actually have many people working on it and assembling a product that rolls out very smoothly and consistently. Well, part of me wonders if webcomics as such are the quote-unquote net step or whether they're digital comics. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, is it the web comic, i.e., you read it online on a website, or is it the, you know, web or digital version of a magazine? Man, I've got to say, we've got so much awesome stuff that leads into the various things that I've wrote written down for topics. I'm very excited by this. Um, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll come back in with some of that later. But yeah, no, I it's I think the other thing that's amazing is is we're at a point in our history where you have these two things coming from two different directions and intermingling in the same medium. You know what I mean? Or whatever you would call the web in that sense. You've got the pure web comics that can be read digitally, and then you've got the print comics that can be read digitally. And what, you know, what is... Not not saying that one is more legit or less legit than the other. It's just amazing that they can come to the same place and kind of look like the same thing, but they're clearly being done with different strategies and at different scales and things. Well, no, exactly. I know this is why Marvel's Infinite Comics thing is interesting to me because I have the feeling that Marvel's Infinite Comics is going to be neither of those things. Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, or it's going to be a weird hybrid. It seems like it would be a weird hybrid, but I suspect that it might be a weird mule of a hybrid, you know? Yeah, like it's, it, it's going to be like bits of both of those and also this other right. thing. And also this other thing, and surprise, it's sterile, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Are you not excited about Infinite Comics? I, I'm Well, okay, here's the thing. Since I am uh, off the Marvel bus uh, with... No, but, know, but as, as a format, I mean... Oh, um, no, you know, interestingly enough, no. And uh, once again, his name gets taken in vain so much on this show. It really should be, uh, we should have like a little theme musical cue for it. Thanks to Rich Johnston. Uh, I I picked up the Threat Electric. Is that, is that what it's called? Threat yeah. or Thread? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thrill, the Thrill Electric um, by Liam Moore, John Rapignon, and I don't know who did the art. And it looked really kind of, cool and awesome like he did a great job presenting it and i was like you know i sort of dug that it had kind of a um uh, i don't know what i would call it like video you know professor layton video game cutscene kind of art i was like huh this sounds really cool so i downloaded it put it on the app and god damn it if it didn't feel like the same old like it wasn't it was just comics except there's sound effects and it's it automatically goes into a guided panel thing. Like I couldn't figure out how to fi- fix the options. Like it very, very much feels like something that was originally a web page web app turned into like an, an actual iPhone app uh, or iPad app. But trying to make my way through it, my big thing about um, Infinite Comics and the Thrill Electric is 
comics have the ability to view the entire page all at once is is a huge thing is a huge thing. This is something that, that Hibbs and I were squabbling about when talking about uh, Luther, um, the Mark Wade's sort of um, proof of concept comic that he released the other week. Yeah. Uh, in that Hibbs was being very like, it's not comics, it's not comics, you know, it's animation, it's just you have to click through for the animation. And, of course, we spent lots of time, you know, arguing with that. And, and as anyone, it was kind of like finally the the debate that you enjoyed having back when Scott McCloud's understanding comics came out is finally back in like its new web 2.0 point form where we're like, it's not, it is, it's two pictures in sequence, but no, and et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) But, but one of the things that I felt while reading Luther is, um, it, it, it narrows the control that you have for the reader in a way that makes it feel like not comics. I know that it is comics, but the ability to see a page, like, you know, if you've got the comics app for Comixology on uh, your iPhone or your, your iPad, you can set the, even if you're in guided panel view, you can set it so that you see an overview of the page before it zooms in uh, on on the next panel and also set it if you want at the end of the page where you can sort of zoom out. Um, And that's not ideal, but there is an ability for a reader to change their focus in which, in which the page is an essential unit structure that taking that out does a really weird thing to comics. Um, Okay. Here's a counter argument to that though. mm Mm-hmm. Is it not just that you're changing the concept of what a page is? And this is the thing that I think is interesting because no, a page a, a page isn't a panel. You know what I mean? Like I I can I can see. I remember when IDW was kind of saying like people were you know digging their iPhone comics at them when they were doing their own app, and they very much did it on a panel by panel. It's like a PowerPoint slide. I would say that no, a PowerPoint slide is. It, it, it isn't a page by the same, the same so measure. So what is your you know definition I mean? of a page? A page has more than one panel and some continuity. I would say so. I would say so. Like like if you look at uh, Cameron Stewart's Sin Tatulo, for example, um, where he's got it set on that lovely two, two-tiered structure, um, it feels like a page. And you can slap two of those together and it suddenly it's a longer almost like a four by four grid and it still feels like a page you know Mm -hmm. and um you know i for me even like once you get to the realm of to me like does a menage a three comic which has four panels in a row does it does it feel like a page for me it does because i don't know how to describe it the freedom that it gives you as a reader for how for how you choose to read is it's a big deal, you know? Like, you kind of, your eye moves over everything. Maybe it catches, in the case of Menage Three, a perfectly drawn pair of boobies or a Dan, you know, uh, DiCarlo-ish expression. I almost said Dan DiDio-ish, which would have been yeah. bad. Or you can, you know, jump to the beginning or, you know, sometimes it just allows you to take in all those things. Um, okay, here, you know when we were watching Battlestar Galactica and... 
at the beginning of the the show, there's always that scene where they like show a bunch of flashes from the show to come. Yes. You know, and we're always like, as I recall, watching it with you guys, we'd all just kind of like duck our eyes and be like, no, fast forward, fast forward. (laughs) Exactly. I like the fact that we have the freedom to do that with a page of comics or not at our leisure as much as we want, you know. Um, and that's that seems pretty powerful to me, even if it's three panels. It gets a little weird at two panels because it seems like a little less of an, an actual choice. But even still, you can have that um, in a way that I feel that clicking through click one, click two, click just kind of isn't, you know. Um, but but that also may be me. Um that that's my thing. So no, not excited about Infinite Comics, even though with someone like Stuart Eminem working on it. Honestly, I think if if it was Mark Wade and he was doing it with say um, uh, Darwin Cook or something like that, someone who's worked in animation a lot, I could see where. And I oh no, maybe Eminem has before he came around to comics, but I assume not. Um, I. I I, it might be interesting because the the original proof of concept that got everyone, including Wade, so fired up uh, by that French dude, whose name I could not tell you now for the life of me, had a lot of it played with space even as as it was playing with time. But the idea of like clicking on a panel of space and I click on it again and there's Nova far away and then I click on it again and he's closer up and then I click on it and he's even closer and then there's captions saying things and then I click on it again and suddenly you see that he's not even being chased by a space space cruiser he's like flying through a galaxy that's inside the mouth of you know an awesome shark or something I'm just like um I'm not really sure that it, you know, it, it kind of seems, I, I can see where somebody was, you know, when, when comics moved to being two pages, people probably said the same shit about the page turn being an artificial break, but it just, I don't know. It just, it, I'm not excited about it. Are you? I'm cautiously excited about it. Um, I was not overwhelmingly impressed with Luther, mm-hmm. uh, but part of that was I read it as a PDF. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I think and, I and so it's it. a really weird thing as a PDF, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, that's why I'm cautiously excited because I don't feel I've actually experienced what he's talking about yet. I want so to be... you didn't click through on it, or you? you well, you do, but it's mm-hmm. like a really weird thing. <laughs> like I think it, that's how it, I experienced it too. You know? Yeah. It, well, it, I I felt like I was I was reading it wrong, and mm-hmm. I don't mean that in the sense of like my understanding is wrong as much as like I think I was in the wrong format. I think reading it on preview on a Mac is not the way to do that. Um, and so I'm really, I'm genuinely excited to see the, the Avengers versus X-Men one because right. I'll be reading that on an iPad and I feel that's the format it's been created for. Right. And I am kind of excited. I think I'm excited most when I see Mark Wade say things like, I fucking hate motion comics. I promise you it's not motion comics. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because my, my first take when I was, I was reading all the information about it was, it's motion comics. It's a rebranded motion comics. Yeah, and, I know. And they, it, they, just, they just promise that it's not. And I'm, I'm curious enough that I'm like, hmm. Yeah, I don't – to me, I don't think it's going to be motion comics, but it's going to feel to me like guided view comics in which the guidedness – uh, take, has an extra element of it. And, and weirdly enough, I have to say, there are times when I'm reading Guided View comics on Comixology. It doesn't happen often, but like I was reading a Green Lantern 
a story on uh, my iPhone, you know, one of the Silver Age ones from the mm. sale. And I really kind of enjoyed the way that the choices that the person who put in the guided view had to figure out to approach the panels, you know, because they're really taking things and figuring, you know, it's almost like watching a movie that's been, you know, in letterbox format, put into pan and scan format for your TV. You know, at some points with these, these Green Lantern panels, he's like, okay, first I have to show the guy reacting. Then I'm going to show the person pointing the gun at him. Then I'm going to show the, you know, jump full out more. So you see the two of them with the gun pointed and you can read the captions finally. And I enjoy that in a weird, like, oh, that's a clever problem-solving kind of way. But Infinite Comics, to me, feels like we're creating a... Like, hey, it, it seems less clever when you're solving a problem that you're creating, I guess. There's part Whereas of that, that's that's like, what seems more interesting to me. I, mm-hmm. I find Guide of View really annoying because it is... We're controlling your eye as, you're, as you go across this page that was created to read as a whole. But that's, right. why, that's why I was asked about, you know... Are you stuck in the idea of a page when the idea of a page itself is getting outmoded? Because for Infinite Comics, it's being created to be read in that format anyway. So you're you're getting it. To my mind, that's less offensive than Guided View. Yeah, I, you're more in tune with what the what the artist intended. Sure. I, on the one hand, I agree with that. On the other hand, how do I put this? My thing is, is I don't really use. You're wrong. You're stupid. But you're still wrong. Yeah. No. 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 I see. I see your point. I think. And 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 rather than chase our tails on this one, um, I I think I'll I'll seed the ground, and it'll be interesting to see what your reactions are with it, and kind of as as the as more of those books come out, because I do like the idea that Wade's saying all the right stuff in terms of like working with the artists to make them feel like how they've got a sense of things I guess it could be really it seems like a really exciting way to tell a story I'm not hooked that it's an exciting way to read a story yet so well we shall see I mean we'll know next week Yeah, (laughs) but as you said the the augmented reality app and Mm -hmm. the infinite comic have made Avengers vs. X-Men much more exciting a prospect than anything in the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? The new toys is much more exciting for me than it's the Avengers and X-Men and they're fighting. Yeah, but... I think I, this weird, smart... X- I was about to say, it's it's it, you've set the bar pretty low then once you've got Avengers vs. X-Men and they're fighting. At that point, aren't we just kind of back at the 90s where people are like, whoa, but the cover is fucking lenticular. Check it out. <laughs> but to be fair, lenticular is awesome. It is awesome. It, just because it's awesome to say, I, I, I have to say. It is true. Lenticular is somehow more awesome when you discover that it's called lenticular. Mm-hmm. It is. All of a sudden, you're like, okay, it's not just wobbly pictures. You're so impressed with it. Well, let me tell you a little bit about my experience about the future of comics, because uh, I think this will segue in nicely. Because I think I had a moment uh, yesterday, uh, last night, where I was like, holy shit, this is the future of comics, of digital comics. Um so I went to the comic store yesterday to buy some books so that we could talk about them, and then I came home to read them. Uh, and and like an idiot, I have I didn't have because I'd been picking it up on a whim. I've been 
pulling Brian Azzarello's and Eduardo Rizzo's uh, Spaceman up from Vertigo on an issue-by-issue basis because they suckered me in with a $1 issue that I quite liked. Mm. Uh, And then I had picked up issues two and three. So there's this new issue, and I'm like, huh, yeah, I buy it, go home. You know, it's new on the racks. I read through all this stuff. I sit down to start reading Spaceman. I'm like, wait, this can't be... Fuck, I think I missed an issue. So... Okay, so the future comes from A, I basically jumped on the iTunes store, uh, looked up Spaceman, realized that there was an issue in between issue four that I had not bought. And then, boom, you know, purchased it for $1.99 because it, it had been out for a month and it downloaded to my book right there. So I sat down and I read two issues of Spaceman back to back. The other thing that killed me was the coloring was so fucking phenomenal uh, digitally issue four it's you know it's the same colorist but the the this was even before I got to issue five um, the coloring just killed me by how fucking beautiful it looked it looked absurdly good there's there's one page on spaceman number four where because it's set in this you know um it's set in the future where the the skyscrapers have gone underwater and people are sort of surviving on you know buzzing around on swamp buggies and trying to get by. Uh, there is a shot that where the sky in the background is red, um, and the colorist went to so, so went to so much attention to detail that it's three different layers. So you're it actually looks like sky, you know, and all the colors and all the definition are so crisp. It it makes Eduardo Rizzo's blacks really pop out. And I was just like, I was like, this is a stunning page. And this is just, you know, just please excuse my, my, my first world caveat there, but it's just a, an, an iPad one. It's not iPad three with like the super resolution. And it's not one of the high definition comics from comiXology that I know of, it was just fucking stunning though. I, and, and it was, it was this moment of like, I'm like, suddenly for, I was like, I'll buy all these comics for $2. You know, I want to show these to my friends just because the color pops in a way that really kills me. You but know? The, the, okay. So this is what I, you're not quite getting there. And I think it's what you're saying. You're saying that it, the color is better digitally than it's in print. Yes, sorry. That should be the next point that 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 uh, crazy brain uh, did not include. When I picked up issue five, everything was muted by the you know they seem to be printing it on a cheaper paper. It it almost feels like closer to regular news stock, and everything like all you can see where all the colors are, but it's almost like a layer got added on top of it, um, and it's just it's just a level of degradation or something, uh, and it it. It's kind of painful. It is to me. It's actually really painful to look at it, issue five after seeing issue four because all the art's still there, but I can see how it looks different. And so mm-hmm. there's this weird feeling of like, I'm not much of. I'm not one of those guys who like when I saw Blade Runner on Laserdisc, I was like, oh my god, you know, I'm going to go rob a bank so that I can afford this thing. Like I, I, I don't think of myself as the type of guy that's like Blu-ray. I must have it now, but. But goddamn, did uh, digital did comics? Yeah, exactly. Give me more. Holy it's, cow! No, but it's true. Paper stock really, really affects stuff. I remember um, 
this is a moment where I'll say, I got this is a from the publisher, and you'll get really mad. I got the Wednesday Comics hardcover, the collection. Fuck you, Graham. Oh. Thanks. Let's oh. move past. Thanks. Yeah, uh, sorry. It's, print, it's printed on glossy paper, unlike the individual issues. Huh, that's weird. And the art, especially on the Superman story, mm-hmm. is a million times better. Oh, interesting. It's amazing. Story does the commandy story just look awesome? Or I, in a weird way, I th- yeah, I th- in a weird way, I think commandy worked better in the the rougher paper. I think I can actually see that. Like as soon as I said that, I'm like, oh wait a minute! Like I can almost see how with Wednesday Comics, half the stories would look a little bit better, and half this or a lot better, and half of them would look a little bit worse or a lot worse. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That's pretty much what it is. It's, it's, you know, Teen Titans, for example, looks really good in glossy paper. Um, mm-hmm. The Amanda Connor Supergirl looks really good in glossy paper. The Green Lantern looks really good in glossy paper. But, you know, there's stuff like the Metamorpho strip. Metamorpho yeah. strip, yeah. Looks pretty much, you know, as good or better on the original paper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Really interesting. Huh. Huh, huh. I, of course, didn't really mean fuck you. I was playing that up for comical. I know you did. Um, we're, we're good. Are we good? Are we good? We're, we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still bros. Uh, so, yeah, actually, Spaceman, dudes, for people who have the iPad and have not been picking it up, wow, it Is looks it good stunning. as a story? Because I remember reading the preview in whatever Vertigo one-shot they had the preview in, and I, I, I don't think I could have been more turned off. Yeah, I mean, at the risk of saying that it's not your thing. Um, when has that ever stopped you before? That is true. That is true. There's that. Well, actually, believe me, I got lost in, on another tangent. Uh, th- the thing that I like about Spaceman is it's actually good enough that it makes me wonder what noir classic Azarello's ripping off that I'm not aware of. Um <laughs> Because sort of in the same way that he I, – I liked his uh, Luke Cage miniseries from him and Richard Corbin until I realized he was just ripping off uh, Yojimbo slash Fistful of Dollars. There's something about this that is so good that I'm kind of like, wait a minute, is this high and low? Like I'm pretty <laughs> sure I saw High and Low by Kurosawa, but am I missing – because it, it, it turns – it is a – it's a futuristic – noir story about a guy who basically recovers a kidnapped child for whom there's a high ransom uh, and essentially falls into competing gangs of people who are trying to kidnap the child for their own interests. Um, He's got an amazing sort of, you know, sci-fi equivalent of a David Goodis-esque backstory in that he's sort of a genetically altered human being who looks like a basically a caveman who has flashbacks to his time on Mars, part of why they call him the, the literal spaceman. His previous career, he and his brothers were up on, I do want to say Mars, but of course people are going to correct me and tell me that it's the moon, um, uh, in space on a planet, and we're just now finding out several issues in that there was a lot more intrigue going on in his backstory than one might think. So I really like it as a very spiffy, well-structured noir because Azarello is spending a lot of time trying to work on his sci-fi futuristic patois 
um, and 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 put a lot of his sort of uh, hyperactive cleverness into that. I actually think that which um, normally, of course, Azarello's dialogue drives me nuts, and normally invented science fiction languages drive me nuts. For whatever reason, they work together just right. That I feel like I can read it, and it feels uh, fluid uh, and and not entirely dopey. And of course, I love Rizzo's art. I don't think if you saw the preview and you liked it, you would actually dig it. But for other re- listeners out there who are big fans of crime comics themselves um, and have enjoyed uh, Rizzo's work, I think I think they would really like it. Especially digitally, I think they would really like it. But if you're not a crime comics person, really, I don't see that it would be a big deal for you at all, Graham. Okay. okay. Uh, listeners I- like you. That answers my question. No, I just – it's one of those things where I basically see all the people who I would expect to like it like it, but I don't see anyone else being like, this is great. I'm totally surprised. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's very much them. It's very much them in their wheelhouse doing, I think, a very – doing what they do very well. And in that sense, to me, for somebody who jumped off 100 bullets way earlier, it it also has a degree of... Also, I think maybe there's something about science fiction that helps where um, uh, 100 bullets both quickly charmed me by Eduardo's Rizzo's ability to lay out a lot of action in the foreground or background that's playing off of the scene that's happening in front of you. Um and then quickly wearied me as I realized that that more often than not, it seemed his riffing to keep things going and wasn't really adding anything. Like it seemed really obvious in a way, at least in Spaceman, when he takes the time to, to show, I don't know, two kids chasing a dog or something like that. In this particular milieu, it seems a lot more loaded and potentially uh, world building than it would otherwise. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I can see where it's not going to drag in any – it's not – I don't think it's really going to convert new people, much like comics itself. But it's going to do a good job of, <laughs> of taking lapsed Azarello Rizzo readers like myself and being like, god damn, this is pretty nice. And admittedly, I'm only five issues in, so it could well suck out before the end. Because I loved Cage up until the last three pages or something, and then I wanted to go like, you know – smack Brian Azzarello with a folding chair. You know? Really? That yeah. Like, you made it that far, and then you're like, no. Yeah. Yeah, right to the end, and then no. Uh, uh, that that was... Because that was Azzarello, like, it was way back when. It was 99, 2000, whatever it was, and, and Azzarello, I think, was still... I, I don't think the pacing has ever been his strong suit, per se. I think he works with very strong collaborators, but I think sometimes nobody's holding the reins. So in the, in the case of the three-issue Luke Cage miniseries, I think he, he somehow got to the end of issue three and was like, oh, shit, okay, ambiguous ending, hooray! You know, and I was just like, really? That was it? It was kind of like you got to the to the 70 minute point in a 90 minute movie and went well this is really where everything should end but I'm going to have three panels of Luke Cage running into bullets yelling the end it works awesome, really right? well for Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid right right totes my friend totes or the wild bunch um, or Galvin yeah. Louise if you replace the bullets with a cliff and the car with Luke Cage 
I have to say, having seen all three of our exemplars, it's closer to the Thelma and Louise than the other two. It really is. Um, and maybe, that was a classic. It was. Some people... The movie that made Brad Pitt's reputation. Yes, his buttocks. <laughs> really, it was his buttocks first, then later his reputation, I think. I don't know. I, I think that's fair, though. Yeah, yeah, it's, let's face it. It's Brad Pitt, you know? Um... So, which brings me to Joe Casey. Is he the next Roy Thomas? Discuss. That was a spectacular segue from Brad Pitt's buttocks, which brings me to Joe Casey. <laughs> the next Roy Thomas. He's not the next Roy Thomas. What are you talking about? No. I kind of wish, let, let me no, rephrase this. The next Roy Thomas, my friends, we all know, is Jeff Johns. No, disagree, because you're going at it from a different angle than I am. What? Okay, explain your angle. My angle is if I was to say who's the next Roy Thomas in terms of uh, in-story continuity nerding, like wrapping things around and and tying them off in in like an annoying bow and or bringing an L. What's that? (laughs) Steve Englehart. God damn it. I I almost had this. And bringing back in things from one's youth without an abundance of exclamation points, you would say – Steve Englehart. God damn it. No, the exclamation points was supposed to be – you're right. Okay, it's Steve Englehart. Moving on. No, it's Jeff no, Johns. That's, but the, I, I feel that you're, what you're taking from Roy Thomas's career is, don't get me wrong, true for Thomas. But I think it's more true of Englehart. I think you're – I mean I would totally lump Englehart and Casey together. Okay. First off – you're wrong, but let me talk about <laughs> let me talk about why. Because to me, here's the thing: the reason why I compare Joe Casey to Roy Thomas isn't because of what he's crafting in the in the books. It's because of his eye for talent. I think that Joe Casey has a tremendous eye for talent and who he wants to work with. So, like the the recent announcement, which of course I'm looking on Robot Six and is. 300 transactions earlier, but the stuff that he's doing with Disco Destroyer and what was the yeah, other title Jim, that he was Jim doing? Uh, oh right. God. right, the fact it's, that he's working with, yeah. I can't Jim remember, no, I was, I was going to look it up. Yeah. Yeah, so there's the, so there's Jim Moffood. Um, the fact that he's working with Jim Moffood, Nathan Fox, Tom Scioli, uh, I think I think that, that Joe Casey has a fucking phenomenal eye for talent, which, frankly, I think that a lot of people overlook the fact that Roy Thomas did, too, that that part of the strength of Marvel Comics back in the 70s, which, admittedly, many people, you know, you have to be of a certain era to believe that that, it actually was a strength, um, came from Thomas's ability to really see potential in people and figure out a way to, to kind of put them to work. And in a way, sort of to varying degrees, kind of pony, you know, uh, shack, shackle his wagon to that person's talent, you know, to, to varying degrees of success. Joe Casey, I, I think his work is eminently mediocre in just about all ways. But Joe Casey, the, the guy, the talent, does, like if there's ever a guy that I would put in charge of like being the editor of a fledging comic line and putting together um, artists and ideas for artists to work on, I would put I would put Casey like way up there. Um, unfortunately, he just happens to keep including himself. The best part is right now, 
Chad Nevitt is listening to this and is simultaneously nodding his head in agreement and wanting to kill you. Yeah, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. I have to – Chad, Sean Witzke, there's uh, David Brothers. There's a ton of guys, even uh, Tucker Stone, I think, have all said great stuff about um, Joe Casey's work almost as great as Joe Casey himself has actually said about Joe Casey's work. <laughs> and all of them, including Joe Casey, are, are wrong. I what I love is when you – are the rare occasions where you dislike someone, you just kind of let it go. I, I love that. Because <laughs> it's not often that you have that. It's not often yeah. that you're like, oh, no, they really annoy me. They really annoy me. But the best part is when you do have it – you're yes. just like, I'm just going to keep on to God, though. You said something nice about them? That's okay. But right. they're a dog fucker. I mean, <laughs> it's spectacular. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, I do. I apologize to you, to our listeners. If Joe Casey is a listener, you, therefore I will apologize to him by proxy. I have, but, I have. I have no horse in the Joe Casey race. I think right. he's done. I think he's done some good work. I think he's done some terrible work. You know, I I think part of the problem with Joe Casey for me also is is that he has done he's done some good work which somehow gets pushed forward as great work which kills me um, again because he's working with some amazing talents. No, but there's also he has been genuinely ahead of his time. Maybe not in the wider cultural context, but in the comics culture context, he's he's continually been five to ten years ahead of his time. If you look what? at what he does. No, if you look at, like, Wildcats, which then gets ripped off, you know, 10 years later by Matt Fraction and Iron Man, and everyone's like, oh, my God, where did he come up with this idea? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he is. That's what I mean by not, cult- like, broadly cultural ahead of his time. I think Wildcats is very much a product of pop right. culture at this time. But mm-hmm. in comics culture, which is always behind the curve. Okay, I he is think, continually right. ahead of the comics culture curve. It is true. I do have to acknowledge that by virtue of um, the speed that comes from cutting corners on developing and telling stories allows him to keep ahead of the, the, the scope of coming up with new ideas. Like, again, Wildcats. Great <laughs> ideas. Sorry. And then you read it. I know. I know. I, I know. an example of you being like, well, I that's did that deliberately. Positive, so I'm going to get a really big negative in their verse. Well, it's true. If you go for people who defile corpses, then it's yeah, true absolutely. that he is definitely a writer. You, you have to admit he's a snappy dresser. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, no, I, I just – I think that's my problem with Casey is, is that, yes, he's, he's, got, he's got his eye on the prize and then something happens that he never gets there to me. And I always track, chalk it up to laziness or any number of other factors um, and it drives me up a wall. I remember like he wrote – like with, in Godland, the first three or four issues, he writes an essay about the nature of – cosmic stories from the 70s and, and uh, Englehart you know it's very much a love letter to, to Englehart and Starlin and what those guys are doing and he still misses it like it was like a but two or three thing, issue is thing. he missing it or is it like we we're talking about with Jonathan Hickman before where he's just doing something that we don't think he should be doing see I happen to think for Casey he's actually fucking missing it I really do I do. And the difference for me is is that I feel like Hickman 
uh, at least from the stuff that I've read, his stuff is um, boring, but more or less on point. Casey, I feel he he talks this talk, but there's a crucial element that he never quite understands or that never quite comes together for him. So um, let's see. The difference to me would be that if Joe Casey... Um, let's uh, to me a, a, an interesting comparison might be Quentin Tarantino because to me when Tarantino came out with Pulp Fiction, part of the thing that made Pulp Fiction successful to me is that he did not talk about Pulp Fiction like it is the world's most awesome action movie, which it frankly is not. It's got amazing sequences in it, but it's really everything that he does from taking. Um, a genre and twisting it and wrangling it and investing it with personal energy. Like when Wildcats 3.0 is supposed to be a treatise about um, the future, uh, uh, essentially the future and what it means when corporations become superhumans, I do not actually want to see somebody wandering through a supermarket aisle for three pages trying to score cough syrup, which I think might have actually literally been a scene in there that happened to Grifter. And I'm like, to me, it's just... It is not the same thing. The eye is not on the prize. And and Joe Casey, like a, a various number of um, people in the comics industry that you know I have very little patience for, is a master of climbing out of a mud puddle with uh, his white suit stained from head to toe and go, well, I meant to do that. And I just, I can't, I can't buy it. I just can't buy it. And I don't, it's hard for me to forgive them for it. You know, in some cases, in the case of Joe Casey, I read a bajillion issues of him and Ledron doing cable, and it just ended up being like picking up the next issue, and it's Joe Casey going. <laughs> People okay. love this helicopter impression. <laughs> So I don't know that that is that that is me that is Joe Casey. But I have to say honestly, and I do not mean this in a bad way. I think he's got an amazing eye for talent. It really does. Like I'm fucking impressed at it. And and I will say last last week I picked up an issue of Haunt by him, and I thought Nathan Fox. But goddamn if they didn't mislabel the comic, and it was it was okay. It really was okay. I didn't have any complaints about it. It wasn't it wasn't awesome. But, Wait, who, who's doing it if not Nathan Fox? I thought Nathan was Fox the, was drawing on now. He, he is drawing it, but I think they gave him an issue off. So it literally, issue 22 of Haunt says in the top left-hand corner, Joe Casey, Nathan Fox. And I believe that's Nathan Fox on the cover. Then inside, the very front inside cover, Joe Casey writer, Art Nathan Fox. And then you get to the flashback sequence uh, and I think, in fact, I don't. I haven't been following that. I don't think the first page really seems like Nathan Fox to me either. And then it's all God. Where's the credits for this? It's son of a bitch. It's it's not Joe Casey though. God damn it! Where is it? Um, it's God, not Nathan Fox. It, you mean? I mean, right? It's not Nathan Fox. Actually, it'd be great. Maybe it actually is Nathan Fox, and I'm completely wrong. Why well, acar- according to comic book database, it is Nathan Fox. Shit. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward that, to that this said, part out of the podcast. It could be wrong. But... No, 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 no. I don't know why I like flipped through it and it seemed super not Nathan Fox to me until the last page. And the rest of it seemed like the guy who drew 
Chu. So hold on. Let me see here. Oh, by Joe Casey and John Lucas. God damn it. It was right there. I was too, too juice brained to actually see it. Yeah. Backflash 1979 is 20 some odd pages by John Lucas as the artist, despite Nathan Fox being on the front cover, inside cover and mentioned prominently on the back cover. Wow. Yeah, I was kind of not pleased. That being said, I then read it, and without the mi- the mystic, magical powers of Nathan Fox, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to hate this shit. And it was actually, it was okay for a kind of Joe Casey-ish, more flash than cash kind of way. It was, it was all right. <laughs> and that concludes this week's episode of the Joe Casey Hate Hour with your host, Please. Jeff. Lester. That's right. Also, listeners, if you wouldn't mind going and voting for Qualifier Lad as the leader of the Legion of Superheroes, no surprise, that's actually me. So, uh, Qualifier Lad was the greatest Legion of Superheroes hero, though. I, he kind of was, wasn't he? By the way, did you pick Cosmic up Boy? Those? I think that's a great idea, but if you think about it for a second, you know, it's really right, exactly. at, at relative that, terror. Awesome, awesome idea. And by awesome, I have to mean somewhat lacking in the fundamentals. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe Brainiac 5 is kind of qualifier laddered. I don't know. Did I have to pick up what? Sorry, I completely was not listening. Ah, uh, uh, that's okay. I don't know what I was going to say next. I'm not sure. Oh, oh, you know what it was? Any of the any of the adventure comics issues or the Legion issues during the big Legion sale on Comixology? I did not. But to be fair, I probably have them in collected formats. To be I, what, fair, I'm sure you do, yeah. What uh, – I didn't even look at what was in the sale. Is it all the, the classic stuff? Uh, a lot of classic stuff. I mean it's tough with the Legion because, of course, they limited themselves to 100 issues. But the thing that I found fascinating was some of the adventure comics that they were selling that were the first appearances of the Legion. You know, it's like a Legion story and a Superboy story. The mm-hmm. Legion stories are all in color. The Superboy stories were in black and white. Well, obviously, because it's a Legion sale, Jeff. Well, I know, Super- but... It- and the Superboy stories, they probably didn't bother to do anything with because they're just in showcase print-ready format anyway. Well, I know. Isn't that kind of fascinating to me, though? I really was kind of surprised. And a lot of people were kind of like, why are you running the Superboy issues in black and white? I mean, other than, you know, you don't really care, but, you know, they, they actually had the little caveat on it, but... It was still kind of uh, stunning. That, that is kind of weird. It's it's like when they did the um, retroactive books last year, mm-hmm. and they were like, buy this digitally, and we also have the next three issues of the reprints digitally. And, you know, they've done no work on updating the scans, and it's quite clearly like someone has taken a really shitty scan of Batman 255. Wow. Shit. Right. Exactly. Like, that's really interesting that they did that that badly. It's interesting. I, I want to say I'm kind of glad I didn't buy one of those retroactive. One of those retroactive books was completely on sale for like 99 cents. So, okay. Well, I was just curious if you, perhaps you had heard anything no, I, from the larger. No, I I hadn't heard anything, and I probably do because I've got all the showcase Legion books, and I think mm-hmm. there's like three or four of them. Um, so it's it goes pretty far into the run. Yeah, it's three or four. That'd be really interesting. Um. I mean, it's fascinating looking through all the Showcase Legion books for when Jim Shooter shows up. <laughs> right. It really, it really is like, wow, this guy's grown up reading Marvel comics. And I can't, it's such I a can't difference. I can't wait to read them. Yeah. It's like subplots and stuff. And no, but also who's the like, secret like, traitor and things. Splash pages. 
Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Huh. I, I, I'm looking forward to reading it. I really am. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It's structures. Because you can also tell a time story, you know, he's a kid, if that makes sense. Because they're just not as inventive as the earlier stories. Because the earlier stories are hokey as shit. Right. But all have, like, at least one idea where you're like, that's a great idea. Right. And then Jim Shooter comes on, and it's much more dynamic and much more Stan Lee-ish. Mm-hmm. But plots are pretty much all, you are my secret brother slash traitor. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, they, they take, the high concept goes really quickly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. magical thinking comes into it really, really quickly as well. Mm, interesting. AKA the golden years of the Legion. Um... Graham, I hate to do this to you, but can I put you on hold for just one moment while I yes. run away from the thing here? Yes. I, I don't think I'm actually passing out, but if I am, I will let you know in just a minute. Hold on. Okay. Whether Jeff leaves the sin or not is open to question, but all I'm going to say from my end is when someone says, I don't know if I'm actually passing out or not, but I'll let you know in a minute, that's never a good thing to hear. Especially because if he passes out... Apart from listening for a bump in the background, how am I supposed to know that? How long am I supposed to vamp for? It is a problem. Also, with the distortion I'm hearing on my end, I don't even know if I'm being auto-tuned right now, although that would be the greatest strange interludes to have where I just talk and I'm auto-tuned for like two minutes. We now return you to your regular silence so Jeff doesn't know that I've been talking to you in this gap until he edits the podcast. Okay, good lord, I'm back. Are you okay? Yes, yes. Um, just a, a, a slight side effect of things. I kind of had to go pee for about 25 minutes. So, um, <laughs> did did you like tell any stories to the readers, or like reread like a letters page from like 1978 or something or anything? Sadly, no. I, I was just concerned about you. Oh, thanks. I'm sorry. I really should have qualified that in a in a, in a more comical. I'm just joking. No need to worry about me, kind of way. So, I'm not saying I'm going to pass out or anything. I'll be back later. <laughs> but I I need to go lie down on the floor now for a while. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't do that very well. I'm so sorry. So, uh, yes. Um, so should we talk? What do you, Avengers versus X Men number zero? Wait, what else did you buy this week? Uh, okay, so I bought Spaceman number five and Digitally number four. I bought uh, Walking Dead number 95, which was interesting. Um, I f- read uh, Flash number seven and The New Dead Wardians issue one by Dan Abnett and INJ Coolbard. How is that one? It's okay. I kind of. <laughs> I, really? What do you really think? I know that's pretty much it. Like I kind of, I was paying no attention to it. It looked annoying to me. Again, let's keep in mind that I had four days of solid, of you know, without solid food. So that when I read it and got to the end, I was like, "Oh, he's a vampire!" Like in a way that is Isn't really. Is he a vampire on the cover? Yeah, that's my point, Graham. He actually has fangs and blood running from his mouth, and somehow I missed it. Because I'm like, ugh, that annoying bowler hat, uh, or straw hat. I was like, stupid dandies and their comics. So somehow I missed the whole thing. Maybe it's a, I don't know, I don't even know what type of hat that is. Anyway, I was so annoyed by the hat, 
and the zombies, I was like, Ugh. but I figured since I've been picking up the other uh, Vertigo books, I would pick this up in the store and flip through it. And I kind of liked it. I kind of liked the the really understated way that they get to the premise. I kind of wish they had done a different cover. Like if they'd done a cover where smart people didn't know that it was a vampire as opposed to just <laughs> dumb people like me, I think it would serve the story so much better. Like, it's kind of a shame that when he thought of this, he was like, Victorian zombies! And it's like, but the twist, vampires! Like, by the time they got there, they were kind of like, you know what, we got to totally push that twist to the forefront. Because, um... So now it's for Victorian vampires with zombies. And you know, and everyone's like, really? Uh, but I've got such subtle, nuanced opening. It'll still seem subtle, subtle, subtle and nuanced. It'll be cool, really. And the sad fact of the matter is, uh, is, is I'm not sure. I'm not obviously. Uh, my review is biased by my stupidity. I enjoyed the first issue because I thought that actually the the way that he sets up the 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 uh, inspector, the sort of the the mystery of who he is and the world that they're in starts really perfectly like unfolds from you know the pantry outworld outward into the larger world in a way that I thought was was pretty satisfying and well paced. I, I've I've not read it but I'm looking forward to it. I think Dan Abnett's one of those writers that's simultaneously underrated and overrated. Right. I think yeah. the people who really like who like Dan Abnett really like him. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I don't think that many people have ever really read a Dan Abnett comic. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Here's one of the things that I think I, I think I have to disagree with you because I really feel like Abnett and Lanning, who who continued to head up the Annihilation stuff, that was a kind of surprisingly solid seller for Marvel. At a, at a, at would have been considered a B list level and is now rapidly becoming a B plus list level sales. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think Abnett and Lanning's work on the cosmic stuff was stuff that I heard a lot about online, um, but but in a that's what the guys who talk on message boards are saying, as opposed to that's what the guys who seem to be writing reviews are talking about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, I, to me it's kind of interesting because I don't know if there's going to be that much crossover. But for me, what. I thought was fascinating with that was again picking it up and getting to about page four and going, huh, the person who who's written this knows how to tell a comic story. Because I was thinking about it in context of Dominic Le- Dominique Laveau Voodoo Queen. Um uh, That's just unfair though, because that was well, not a very good comic. Well but but it, it but it struck me as a comic that was written by somebody who hasn't written a lot of comics and may or may not actually be a good writer separate or apart from that but certainly yeah. had a something that they wanted to do and not necessarily a ton of control over it it was fascinating a comparison contrast to to that and new dead guardians because by page 4 i was like okay this guy the, the person whoever's telling this knows how to to knows exactly how to undersell um, what he's doing and get you more interested rather than turn on the bombast pipes to 11 and just kind of have you go, I guess I dig this, you know, (laughs) so. Sure, that looks good. Right, exactly. Wow, exciting. Um, So those, and those are the books that I picked up. I'm talking about, wow, exciting. (laughs) 
No, really. That was a good segue right there, Jeff Lester. Hey, what right. did you think of Avengers vs. X-Men? She's here, Jeff. First of all, I have to say, you you read Avengers vs. X-Men and she's hero. Yes, I did. I thought you're going to I thought you're going to do your boycotts. Yeah, I am. Uh, uh, okay. Well, first off, actually there's two things worth explaining here that I think is, is worthwhile. One is um I am abstaining uh, someone uh, a moose and squirrel pointed out in the comics in the comments rather and this was a comment that uh they had made earlier and reiterated uh just recently which I thought was super super smart of them is uh they compared my um abstaining from Marvel comics to uh essentially someone who's vegetarian on ethical grounds uh in that it's not like they're trying to bring down the system it's more that they are trying just do not feel comfortable continuing to support that system i suppose and that made a lot of sense to me as the world's weirdest pescatarian but nonetheless as somebody who hasn't had any beef or chicken for uh coming on a very long time now and i think in the first time he was um moose and squirrel was a little more um what's the word uh perhaps perhaps justifiably harsh uh, on sort of the lack of mm, um what's the word ethical rigidity perhaps i guess with with which one approaches it but 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 in other words it doesn't necessarily matter it's a it's a personal choice being made for a personal reason and not being designed to either draw down the state or necessarily convert anyone else to their views I think that sums up pretty well how I feel about Marvel. I'm really not actively trying to to drive a boycott of them, getting other people to hop on board. That being said, I definitely agree with the points that everyone made uh, in the comments of the last podcast over at SavageCritic.com, where they, I think, more more or less across the board, thought that it would be undercutting my, my stance to continue to read the comics uh, or, or pirate the comics more specifically. And I thought that was a good point. This being said, I did feel entirely comfortable with the idea of if I'm at a comic shop and I have the time and ability to pick up the comic and and flip through it and or read it, um, and I want to do so, I don't see any problems with doing that because that seems to me an inherent part of the comic shop browsing process. And one could say that that I'm approaching it unfairly by looking at the comic, uh, you know, that some would say that the point of that is to decide whether or not you want to read it and therefore by knowing in advance that I'm not uh, – that I want to buy it and, and by knowing in advance that I'm not going to, I am somehow um, acting in bad faith. But I think honestly because there's no way of necessarily knowing when or if my abstention from comics, Marvel Comics will end, I personally believe as an existentialist I can pick up that comic book and if I decide to buy it, so be it. So all of these things being said, will not uh, buy currently. I'm not reading pirated copies of, but I ha- if I have the time in the store and since Brian Hibbs was, is currently out on vacation and was not um, um, peppering me with anecdotes, I had the time to actually read uh, Avengers vs. X-Men number zero and it sucked. The end. Ta-da! <laughs> I feel like we should go really... Moving on! <laughs> um, it really... 
If ever a comic actually deserved the cliche, it's a comic of two halves, that was this one, right? Wasn't or was it? that just yeah. me? Yeah. Like, Which is amazing because it's got the same artist for both stories too, right? Yeah, but the, the Bendis – it was – the Bendis chapter was just horrible. It, it really I was mean, bad. Yeah, it really, really surprisingly yeah. pointless bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, I thought that it did an impressive job of taking – god, how many pages was that story? 12, 18 page, I'm pages? I'm counting right now. No, I don't think it's that long. I think it's maybe tw- uh, 12. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. It kind of goes on a ways, Graham. It might have been a 40-page first issue. 13, with 14, 15. It's 15 pages. Okay. So it's 15 pages and it almost could have done all that in like five you know, because I really felt like... No, but here's the other thing. What did it actually do? Exactly. Arguably, the only thing that you could say that it did is it brings you up to speed with who Scarlet Witch is and maybe moves the ball forward the most infinitesimal of levels when event when uh, Vision tells Scarlet Witch off and she leaves the mansion. You know, that's the only thing that I could see that was in there that was technically new in a way. And frankly, that scene itself also kind of sucked. Like, I mean, it just, I, I don't know. The huge action sequence, it's really funny how uninvested I was in it, despite that it had various... It's its the closest I've seen to, to Bendis doing something that feels like a quote-unquote standard Marvel comic. It opens with a fight scene, then you get some, then you get some of the character meat in it, and then rather than go into the next scene where some sort of threat or challenge is set up, it just, of course, moves on to the next story. But I thought that every individual piece of it was so skimpy, you know? Like, it was really malnourished. It's like those big, to bring back the vegetarian thing, it's like looking at some animal that's been pumped up on steroids, but it's still innately unhealthy, you know? It just didn't feel like a real thing at all. Yeah, it, it's it's. There's so many things that were wrong with it. it the fact that Modok only talks in exposition, right? I mean, he yeah. actually says, "I know you. You're Scarlet Witch, the disgraced Avengers." My goodness, the rumors that I have heard. The rumor was that you'd lost your mind and turned on the Avenger. Rumor has that you're the reason the mutants are no longer concerned. Right. Seriously, even yeah. for a character who normally has the most unconvincing dialogue known to man, yes. that's amazingly bad. Well, interestingly enough, Graham, here's an interesting – like if you flip back to the first page of Avengers, the AVX Zero or whatever, it's isn't it this whole sequence where um, – You've got like the guys being like position is in position, you know, yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, and it's, and the other guys like Yeah, so it's a motorcade. Who are those people who are talking? Uh it is Modoc and someone. Modoc and someone who's driving a car. Right. So so one of those characters actually is is Modoc. Doesn't sound like didn't sound like Modoc to me, or at least the Modoc of, of later pages. He has he has no, he does, and also he has the Modok speech balloon. Oh, okay, all right. Because I, also, I was kind of this. Cuts, it then cuts to Modok saying it. Now that I'm looking back at it, so but it's clearly Modok. So it's clearly Modok. But who is that other person? I don't know if that's supposed to be like a point of the story, but it was almost like I was like, 
who's this other I, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a big thing but it's one of those deals where it was his way of setting exposition uh without the newfangled way of you know thought balloons or or now even captions which were too cool for you know what i mean yeah, looking at it again, I think the person he's talking to is the person driving the car, who seemingly right. doesn't ever get like appear again. Even yeah. the car doesn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the car rams into that. Wait with it. Yeah. Well, I just I kind of had this weird thing of like, okay, so the first two pages are the first page is very much set up like this, like, oh, okay, it's this kind of it's happening now in real time. Like this this one car is going to hit another car, and they're going to take out this this you know. Condon defector or whatever, and then boom! This, I guess the big surprise is that that it's Modok and his his crew of like uh, um, also animal robots. Like, yeah, who don't have like the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, who's only a head inside like a pot that can fly. Yes, that's spectacular. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna make a Tyrannosaur a cyborg. What parts do I need to keep? Legs? No. Tail? No. And the, I mean, let's not talk about arms. They've only got tiny arms. I'll just keep right. the head. I'll stick them in a flying plant pot. <laughs> yeah, a flying plant pot. I mean, there is something where I, on the one hand, I was like, the, it, it was that was the closest that I came to enjoying the issue was that scene where like the the Tyrannosaurus Rex head flies up and like I don't know, eats someone or is about to eat someone. But I also kind of had that moment of like, I don't know. I, I was like, I, might, well, I, I'm, I was more like, if I was reading Axe Cop, at least that would feel more authentic to me. So I was not down on the Bendis story. What intrigued me about the Jason Aaron story was that it was written really clumsily in, uh, for, for me, as far as I can tell, for Aaron, in a way that made me think that he was told the story like he wrote it as a 20-pager and then later was told that it was a 15-pager and he had to cut like a motherfucker. Because there's times where Hope is speaking or uh, the Serpent Squad later on are speaking and things are jammed so tight together it doesn't have any breathing room. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Like there's a panel where Hope is like something like, hey, did you know so-and-so had mechanical arms? I didn't. You know what else I have? Arms or whatever it went. Like something else I don't know is you're dead. And it just – it was jammed into like one single speech balloon when it was clearly meant to breathe as like three or something. It just felt – everything – it felt really constipated but kind of badly paced for Aaron in a way that I don't – I'm not used to seeing from him. Yeah, it's it. The pacing is really, really off, and again, the dialogue is appallingly, yeah, exposition filled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some. I mean, I expect some of that, but it was pretty shitty. I have to say, like. But also, also the other thing is, the art in this half was really weird. Like Cyclops is apparently supernaturally tall, right, and skinny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of thought that too. And again. Oh no! I mean, this is my my problem with Frank Cho is I love his stuff as as an illustrator. I just think he's kind of a, a kind of a crap comic artist. I guess his stuff never really quite works for me um, in the storytelling it's, dynamic. It's Terry Dodson again. Oh, is it Dodson? Oh, no, no, shit. I'm saying it, no. I'm no. It is Frank Cho. Oh, I'm saying okay, it's the problem God. that Terry Do- <laughs> that we have with Terry Dodson. I had that moment where I'm like, Graham, you're a genius. I. Terry Dotson is Frank Joe, uh, but yeah, no, it, exactly. It's that same problem where everything's lovely, and then you piece it together. And even where I feel like Cho, because I remember reading his early Marvel comics like Shanna or whatever, um, 
I felt had everything was stiff. He's working his ass off to try and make everything feel more fluid. But yeah, it's just to me, his panel by panel chops just suffer. And then again, normally, weirdly, as much as I would like that individualistic take, like having, like remembering that Cyclops was called Slim Summers and therefore making him kind of skinnier and longer. It just, it seemed like a good idea, but then somehow wasn't, I guess, you know? Yeah, it just, um, I, uh, I don't know. Joe, Joe's really weird in this. Thing. Also, because of Hope's costume design, because of that mm-hmm. thing she's got around her neck, right. um, she has an exceptionally long neck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this this probably only makes sense to people who have copies of the comic in front of them and can look back. Look at every single page where you see Hope's shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then imagine that the hood wasn't there. And mm-hmm. you'll realize how long her neck would have to be for that to be the case. Wow. Like, it's actually horrifically off. <laughs> <laughs> it's as if he's like, I know she's got this, this hood thing, but I really want a short chin. <laughs> and instead of, like, moving the hood down, he just right. moves the head up. <laughs> Problem solved. Thank God for Photoshop. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, it was... I, it was, it was and you know, I I got on comicsology, and so I paid three ninety nine for it. So, yay comics! <laughs> yay. Well, but you got your five dollar gift certificate out of that, though, right? Yes, yes, I did. That's true. <laughs> I haven't redeemed it, but I do theoretically have it. Well, at least you have it. So I'm, you know what I mean. Like on the one hand, as frustrated as you are with it, and I think justifiably, at least you can be sort of like, well, but I mean, the, the funny thing is, I it means I can get Avengers vs X Men one. Right, for, is, I, I'm sure for, for that price, yeah. Um, right, I don't know. It just, I it's one of those things where I simultaneously wasn't expecting much from it, and I still feel let down by it. Yeah, I it, I was pleased at least with the Aaron end of things. That there, I don't know. It's weird. Like in theory, both of those pieces had fights with people punching one another and so I was kind of like okay at least it has this but it also seemed like that zero issue really did seem like it had a list of everything that they had to put in there and they sort of did it but they didn't do any of it well you know which I don't know maybe that's too much to expect from big events I mean there's a case to be made for that but I was like okay so I've got your you've got your exposition you've got your fight scene and you've got your scene of dramatic conflict between the characters that in theory will play off later we'll assume but it all just felt so um it felt like a checklist it, it really felt, felt it like felt a checklist exactly, exactly like what you're saying you know mm-hmm. okay I've got my fight scene mm-hmm. I've got my yeah, it, yeah. it's I don't know. It's here's my worry about Avengers versus X Men, and I think this is just based upon my extremely negative reactions for issue zero, and I hope it's not going to be the case. Mm-hmm. But issue zero made me feel nostalgic for fear itself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, I can almost see that because at least fear itself, because it blew the checklist so badly at least it kind of had that rangy like who's what's going to happen next kind of like but do you remember like, how much we hated fear itself yeah that's what i'm saying like yeah, if no, you continually I know. are just mm-hmm. having well 
you know, ah, I remember last year's crossover that completely disappointed us and we continually made fun of. Those were the days. That's terrible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it is terrifying when, when, I mean, it was bad enough that Fear Itself made me and others sort of nostalgic for fucking Civil War, you know? And it's like, and now we've got this. Yeah, but this capitalizes on your disaster for Civil War by being Civil War. I know. Well, here's the thing that I find fascinating, Graham. Here's another thing that I think you pointed out is um, Tom Brevoort has has said that they're essentially ignoring all the other stuff that has happened with Phoenix since when? The death of Phoenix storyline in Uncanny X-Men? Yeah, which is so insanely problematic. I don't think he's actually outright said they're ignoring it as much as like you know we're glossing over it to focus on the big things right and i can simultaneously see why that is a great idea because Mm -hmm. there is no big phoenix story outside that phoenix Mm -hmm. kept coming back like half-assed it's rachel she's phoenix i've written her out the book she's an excalibur i've written her out the book uh now she's back do you know what i mean like they never yes it never came to anything so you can't say well look at this but at the same right. time rachel's really important because once you say that gene wasn't gene right then rachel becomes the first human to have been phoenix mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she's the one everyone should be looking at instead of hope right right no, I think that I think that's actually a really good point. Although I, I think one of the commenters, when you pointed out in blog at Newsarama, mentioned some sort of weird potential. It's it it almost seemed more like wishful thinking that, or than than an actual solid plot point. But they pointed out that there was a point where Rachel loses her powers at the same time Hope is ostensibly born, but it's in two yeah, separate yeah. storylines or something, and yes. it doesn't seem entirely well tied together. I. I I'm just, overall, I'm just kind of like I have this weird thing of like, what does continuity mean when you ignore continuity? You know, what's the point of telling a big incontinuity crossover if you are trampling all over continuity to do it? You know what I mean? To say, well, but these things don't matter. You know, it becomes a different state. Isn't it just a different level of like, you know, like these things matter because I say they matter that that, that we found deeply unconvincing? You know, sure, but haven't hasn't comics always been like that? It has. Oh, I agree. It totally has. That's what I think is impressive about it. About comics is the degree to which you learn to tweak that. You play with it. You zigzag through it. You undermine one thing with another. One. You know what I mean? It's I don't know how to describe it, but I. I Comics is always that way. And and frankly, I do think that if you don't reboot your universe, you get into a situation where everything's just unsalvageable. You know, it's just, it's all well, like... You know. That's kind of what I think Avengers vs. X-Men is ultimately going to run into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you really are just going, well, the, the real Phoenix storyline is the original Phoenix storyline. Mm-hmm you're kind of screwed like no matter what because you've already undercut that one but you can kind of ignore the undercutting because Phoenix ultimately ended up being Gene and Gene ultimately did die it was in an entirely different comic storyline altogether but the end result is the same and do you really want to say to people well Phoenix came back and so did Gene because that wasn't really Gene and just complicate matters for people who have never read it do you know what I mean like it becomes this really weird I don't know. When when we were young, Jeff. <laughs> no, 
No, but you'd get into comics and it would have like a caption box for more on Ultron, see, blah, blah, blah. Yes. And they didn't, expl- didn't explain every plot. And they didn't need to. Right. But when right. things they- get doubled back so much, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you simultaneously have the... Well, you, of course you don't explain that because that's insane. Like, if you have exposition where you explain right. the real history of Phoenix, you're going to lose all of your new readers because they'll be like, "What the <laughs> fuck? That's that's dumb." And why right. should I read this story? Because you could just do the same here. Because you can't say the stakes didn't count there, but the stakes count here because, right? But. You're also left with you're serving your your core Marvel customers these days are the ones who have been reading at least since Morrison did X Men, mm-hmm. yeah, and so they think, know right? mm-hmm. that they know the Phoenix Pack story. Yeah. So by kind of fudging it and going, last time Phoenix was here, we almost didn't survive, and Jean Grey had to kill herself. Mm-hmm. Then you're like. That, that's not what happened the last time. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's this weird thing where you have to fudge, but you can't fudge. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. That's the problem. Like, you, you kind of have to do it, but you can't. And and who knows? Maybe they could have found a more elegant solution to it than that. I felt that, you know, maybe, I don't know what that would be, but I feel comfortable saying that what they have now strikes me as kind of unsatisfactory. And again, in this weird unsatisfactory not even really from what my standards are but I would think from just what their standards are you know I'm just kind of shocked that they kind of went and went well that's going to have to do you know like uh, it's a patchwork we're going to go yeah, with but it. maybe maybe they didn't maybe they like really sat down and thought about this and this is the, what they came up with and they're completely happy with it they're, they're not looking at it as patchwork they're not looking at it as this is going to have to do as much as this is a great way of dealing with the problem I guess. I mean, I guess. I mean, to me, the only way it makes sense is if it's a great way to solve the problem because what you're going for is, you know, kind of the the version of Flashpoint. You know, in six issues, nobody's going to be thinking about this at all. You know, or in the case of Avengers vs. X-Men, what, 12 issues, nine issues? Yeah, but I I think... And hope that Avengers vs X Men is going to go from zero to batshit crazy really quickly, mm-hmm. to to get you past that moment of, wait, what happened last time Phoenix was here? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I really hope that very quickly it's going to be like, fuck that. Have you seen that Phoenix is just eating Thor's face? <laughs> Man, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Because I think well, actually, they're bringing back Captain Marvel really early. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're also at least from the cover solicits. They're also right. killing off an Avenger and having Protector, quote-unquote, betray the team, quote-unquote, right. within the first half of the crossover. So right. that strikes me as they really are going to try and pull out the stops and be like, you think that's crazy? What the fuck about this? Which yeah. might be a way to do it. Yeah, it might be. I, I sort of feel their way of crazy is like not crazy crazy, but event le- comics crazy. You know, like, oh, my God, someone's died. Oh, my God, they've lost the planet. Sure, but what else can you do? Dude, I, I, you know, I'm like, I haven't eaten solid food in five days. Why ask me, you know? The thing for Newsarama yesterday, and I have no idea when it's going up. It could be one of those occasions where, like last time, I was like, I don't know when it's going up. And it actually went up while we're talking. Um, (laughs) But I did 10 possible endings for Avengers vs. X-Men. 
Oh, that's lovely. Why do I miss your list post? Who is this done for? Blog at? N- yeah, no, Newsarama, Newsarama. It's front oh, page. Newsarama. Oh, that's why. I can never fucking find anything on that goddamn site. Okay. Um, but it was one of those things where, like, I can think of, like, four joke endings, and I was like, okay, I've just got to come up with six other endings. <laughs> and it was really fucking hard. <laughs> Yeah, ten endings is kind of rough. Is really, you, really kind of rough. But you come up with, all, you end up coming up with all these crazy ideas mm-hmm. that they must have thought about. If that makes sense. Such as. Um, let's Do see you want to discuss favorite. these? I don't know if you want. My to... favorites are there is more than one phoenix, mm-hmm. and so it's going to end up as phoenix versus phoenix. Right, which is possible because isn't that something that Morrison more or less pointed to? Yeah, at the end of his scarf, which I completely didn't remember. Damn, I wish I put that in. Uh, <laughs> no, I was actually based on the fact that Hope Phoenix is out at the end of X Sanction, mm. and we still know that a Phoenix is coming towards Earth. And I was like, either that's a mistake, or there's two Phoenixes. Um, Avengers versus X Men versus Fantastic Four is one of my solutions Uh, everyone dies is one of my solutions right Um, the phoenix is defeated by the power of love (laughs) of course I give two reasons why that is never going to happen and two reasons why that might happen wow good reason number one Grant Morrison is not writing this comic right number two this kind of thing does not happen in Marvel Comics anyway uh reason why it might number one Matt Fraction Jonathan Hickman and Jason Aaron are writing this comic right and if no one's expecting it, then it's going to be a bigger impact. Right. Well, the 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 power of love thing is kind of uh, to me that's the reason why that won't happen, or if it gets hap- if it does happen, it's going to twist it on its head. Is that's pretty much how the original Phoenix Saga ended. You know, it's I mean? also too upbeat for Marvel. Let's face mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. If humanity comes together and defeats the big cosmic enemy just by being inherently good. I feel that. Oh, oh, I see. Too upbeat and optimistic for Marvel. Oh, I see. That's your power of love. I'm sorry. I was thinking of more the the you know Jean sacrifices herself. No, I, I'm I'm talking about like all of humanity joins together and. Gotcha. Right, which is very Morrison-ish, Yeah. Um. Let's see. What else do I have? Uh. Oh, Cyclops was right. Is my favorite one. Phoenix isn't actually a bad thing at all. Like, they have this fight, and then Phoenix comes down and is like, mutants are healed, catch you later, and leaves. Yeah. Yeah, right. Which would be that, awesome, and they're totally not going to do it. You don't think? Why? Uh, I think they need some sort of, like, apocalyptic thing. I don't think they can get away with, oh, we were wrong. Because mm. I don't think you can hype the series that much and then not have that. I think if you hype the series with, this is the big one, holy shit, everything changes. And then, like, it's just 12 issues of them fighting, and then, like, hey, everything's fine, sorry. <laughs> I, I think that's, like, people revolt. Um, they put the Phoenix into another alternate universe. Mm-hmm. Is one, of, one Side Wins is my least favorite, because I think that's really dull. Captain America surrenders and gets killed in a book the month later. Number <laughs> <laughs> nine. And if that actually goes up, if no one substitutes a real number nine, I'll be so happy. If I get that on the front page of Newsarama, I'll be so happy. <laughs> because the entire entry for that is just, what? It worked out pretty well for Civil War, didn't it? And right, exactly. Which I yeah. explained otherwise. Um, <laughs> and number ten is Avengers vs. X-Men, the softball game. Ah, uh, see, that's how we want it to end, isn't it? I mean, I, yeah. here's the thing. So, I, so 
I, it really does start with, I've got the softball game as a joke and Captain America's joke. I'll just come up with different endings because that will be mm-hmm. an over-the-top funny thing to right. Mm-hmm. And then when I was like, oh shit, I'm like, I really did. I stalled out about five. And I was just like, I have no idea how they're going to end this. Like, I, because I was approaching from what, what would be satisfying to me as a reader slash fan? Right. And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you get squoozing into this area where it's like, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I have a whole thing where my, you know, the, the, the thing that's sort of frustrating about Avengers vs. X-Men in a way for me, and it is this continuation of Civil War, is back in the day for like the first 30, 40 years, you know, having superheroes fight supervillains w- had enough juice to it, you know? But now it's got to be superheroes versus superheroes because then there's an inherent established quote-unquote drama to it, you know, and you have people's established... It's, it's like everything, all the lessons that we learned about screenwriting, you know, uh, about making it personal, making, you know, making the stakes matter and all this other stuff s- seems to have turned into a way of... Because you can't have 40... You can you can only have so many iterations of aha the supervillain has learned your secret identity and has kidnapped your true love Spider Man and now you will pay unless you can blankety blank blank um, is kind of this whole thing of like well yeah now Spider Man's going to have to choose like he's obviously an Avenger but how's it going to do for him to fight Wolverine who's now his best bud ever since black and a black and a black and a black and a I I I basically am tired of it so there's part of me that's like. Like you said, it's almost like what, who cares what ending is going to be? I think it would actually be kind of in everything about it annoys me. Like I'd be like, well, what would happen if you had a like it's Avengers versus X Men and you basically have like a shadowy organization come out and kill the Phoenix and then decide to reboot the universe on their own? And then you're like, wait, who are those guys? And then it's an all-new universe that you're looking at. And you, you assume that they're, they've done this on purpose for a reason. <coughs> and they're behind the scenes controlling everything. But in other words, I've just described Pandora and Flashpoint in a way, just with the different slightly Marvel-tasty take on it, right? Mm-hmm. So I I honestly have no idea. Like it's, 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 it's one of those things where I, you know, I'm at a stage where I guess I don't really have to care, but it kind of concerns me that I don't care in a way. Cause I'm kind of like, it just, it all see, you know, I don't know. It just, it, it's, you know, the wrestling match seems really rigged in a way in, in no small part, because you can't even believe that these guys are wrestling, which, you know, is, a, is a way that they used to, Marvel Comics always used to sell when you had Superman, uh, sub- Superman, you had Submariner fighting Daredevil or something odd like that. Somehow that seems to me more of the classic Marvel superhero fight than, oh, it's everybody's evenly matched compatriot and their best friend versus one another. I just, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. It doesn't, it doesn't speak to me in a, in a, a meaningful way other than, the narrative doesn't matter. It's the now it's the meta narrative of like, well, how are these guys going to pull this off? What are they going to do? And the they isn't Avengers. It isn't X Men. It's the the five guys writing it and all the people drawing it and all the people editing it. I I completely agree, yeah. uh, but I guess where I am is I'm like I can't imagine. 
I can't imagine how they're going to do it and not piss people off. And I don't mean that in the sense of like pissing everyone off. Mm-hmm. I just mean I don't think there's a way to end the story and keep your entire fan base happy. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I personally think that. Um, I and think so, there are probably so I'm all, yes. So I was going to say I'm almost more excited, not more excited, more interested mm-hmm. in it because of that. Right. Because not in a narrative sense of I don't know what's going to happen next, but mm-hmm. in the meta narrative sense of I don't know what's going to happen next. Right. Right. Because yeah, what, what's the next stage after this, really? Right. Well, that that is the question. Is is it if it's a reboot? I think we can sit around and try and figure out a way to to come up with various rebooty rebooty things. If it's not a reboot, then what what do we have? You know, they keep um, saying it's not a, saying it's not a reboot. So if right. we take them at their word, right? I I don't know where you go after this, right? But to be fair, I think you could have possibly made that argument before this as well. Because this mm-hmm. nothing in Avengers vs. X-Men is new. Right. It's all turned up, but nothing in it is new. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, which, is, which seems to be what they want. They're like convinced that what people want is not the new. They just want the louder. So, But there's only so far you can turn something up as well. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like Avengers vs. X-Men is as loud as you can get. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, then what's going to happen after that? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Mm. I mean, I, I, honestly, my 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 own thinking from months and months ago was after after the whole all the like Promuter stuff is like, it's also short term. Like no one's really looking beyond. Like I I want to believe that people are looking a year down the line or two years down the line, which is why part of me is like, well, if you do the reboot in a way. You know, and then you just you're saying it's not a reboot, but it really is. Um, you know, I I see the you know I really don't know. At that point, it goes back to well, whatever they're thinking of is is they're just thinking that it, it, that this just buys them nine months of time with bigger sales, and at the end of it, they'll figure something else out. You know that that it that that Marvel Comics has become uh, a one long stall for time, essentially. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and that time being, as long as those people have their jobs, as long as the sales are, they can convince the stockholders the sales are there. I ha- I honestly have no idea. As long as they can show that their profits are up, you know, by selling more three ninety nine comic books than they were selling of their two ninety nine comics, or selling enough of their three ninety nine comics that it covers up the 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 lowering sales of their two ninety nine books. You know, while dumping all the costs of uh, infinite comics and the alternate reality, the, the ARG stuff or whatever it is, the the VR AR. What 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 initial goes before the R now? It's AR. It's augmented reality. Augmented, right? I'm like alternate. No, wait. What's that thing where you're like online and you're hunting down clues? Yeah, I'm conf- conf- yeah. The there was, augmented there was reality a stuff. Fascinating interview at Newsarama um, with Peter Phillips, who is officially. What is his name? Senior Vice President and General Manager of Digital Media at Marvel. Wow. Where he said that they, there is no additional budget for mm-hmm. Infinite Comics or AR. 
could because Marvel did not believe there's any ROI on it. That there's no budget on it? What? Uh, no, no additional budget. Basically, he's doing it with the the existing digital budget. Oh, I see. Wow. We yeah, I was really, really, really surprised when he said that. I'm trying to find the exact quotes. God damn it. That makes no sense whatsoever, though, does it? I so mean, said, unless they're paying Mark Wade as a regular comic. No additional mm-hmm. staff to be able to do this because I couldn't prove the return on investment. Well, I mean, so how are they? So I guess they're just working their poor sons of bitches like round the clock. I don't know what that even means. Like, I'm just like that. But I, yeah, I guess I don't know that 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 is like stuck with me since I read it yesterday because mm-hmm. I'm trying to parse it. Well, my theory is, yeah, and I guess I'm wrong. Is is that this stuff is being jammed into a different division budget? to be able to to move the ball forward so that they're like, yeah, remember that that money that we had set aside for again, clearly it's not digital development, but you know um, R&D or I don't know, advertising like, hey, our our advertising budget is up (laughs) all that money that we pay to place ads in our own comic books that's gone and now there's Infinite Comics Well, did you see that um, Marvel's doing a 24-page comic? Like yeah, that's what week? you were saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's really weird. Yeah, but it makes so much sense. So mm-hmm. much sense. If Because mm-hmm. I, I have to admit, I've not noticed this recently. I noticed it last year and then stopped paying attention. But if right. Marvel it has no outside advertising anymore, right. it completely makes sense to just take those pages out instead of printing them with house ads. Right. No, it is kind of genius in that way. You know? Um because you're, you're wasting your money that way. Right, right. You're printing pages for stuff. I mean, you're also creating something that's even more absurdly insular than it was before, I guess. You know? I And I say that as a guy who would not have read Alan Moore's Swamp Thing if he had not read the house ads in Teen Titans. You know what I mean? All those yeah, but, years ago. Yeah, but that sort of house ad doesn't exist anymore. And also, this isn't that world. Mm-hmm. Gen- genuinely, I, I, I know everyone keeps saying the crossover between an internet audience and a comic buying audience is surprisingly minimal. Right. I'm really not sure I believe that. Hmm. I think if you're enough of a comic book fan that you're going to a specialty store to buy it, mm-hmm. given how many people are on the fucking internet... I really don't think that you never go to Marvel's website or DC's website. I really don't believe that. Why? Whether whether the crossover between that and like commenting on message boards Mm -hmm. is big. I can totally believe that not that many people go to that degree. Mm -hmm. But the idea that they don't go to the company's website when the company's website, the URL is on the front page. I, I just don't I don't think that it's this minuscule amount. I, I think there's a much larger crossover there. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I agree with you. I'm not sure I agree with you. I wish it's one of those times where I wish I could like conjure insta hibs and, and have hibs. I mean admittedly he would back his stuff up I think with largely anecdotal evidence. But well, that's that's essentially what I'm doing. I'm like, right. here is my suspicion. It's not like I have <laughs> graphs to back me up here. 
<laughs> the anecdotal <laughs> evidence would still trump my entire lack of evidence. <laughs> well, that's that's very magnanimous of you, Graham. I I have to say. Um, so it's four thirty, and. Do we have additional topics lined out? Because I got to tell you, I got to go get a little bit of uh, uh, water in me to keep myself hydrated for the next 20 minutes. Then you should really do that. Okay. Can you hold on one second? I totally can. Okay, one sec. Weather, Jeff, we'll keep this part in. I don't know, but isn't it interesting the strange noise he makes when he takes his headset off? I don't know, there's just a lot of... Which seems much more than there should be. Also, the noise I was making, I don't know what that's going to sound like to you. Maybe they're going to sound entirely different. Maybe you guys won't hear a noise at all and I'm only hearing it like this. Or, when I was doing that to the microphone, you guys won't hear anything. It's tough being a podcast person like this. Sometimes I wish I had Jeff's job of listening to it and editing it, but then I remember I really, really, really wouldn't want to listen to my voice for two hours. Okay, I'm back. (laughs) This cleanse is killing you, Jeff. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. By degrees. Would you feel healthy? You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, Today, I've been okay (laughs) up till the... See, this is the problem. The podcast has been a little hard because I, I paced myself badly. Rather than make myself a new, big, brand new pitcher of the juice, I figured that I would get by on the half pitcher that I had, and that was clearly a mistake because I was almost all but through with it like an hour in. <laughs> so I just finished off the last bit of it, which was super cayenne so I'm like, ugh, ugh. But I, I don't know. I, I've... I think I'm surviving. Honestly, for the most part, apart from just feeling kind of tired and a little bit... The previous days, I just felt a little bit tired. Today, I've felt like I've had more energy, but I'm really markedly dumber in a way that I'm I'm a little worried about. But How, how many more days do you have to go? Uh, I am... Uh, at the end of this, I will be halfway through. I'm doing a 10-day cleanse. I'm five days into it. So Stay yeah, strong. Thank you. By the time we talk on Thursday, I will have been back on solid food. So I, I very much look forward to that point. Thank you. But Remember, generally, yeah. don't don't go straight into like the food you've been thinking about all that time because you won't be able to handle it. I remember after oh. we did cleanse, I was like, <laughs> "Great, finished. I know what I'm having," and just felt sick, sick mm-hmm. shit afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Actually, again, part of the reason why I'm doing this is to kind of reset that clock so I'm more excited by some of the healthier stuff I mean honestly at this point at five days in the, admittedly there's a lot of bargaining going on but it's like Edie who's doing the cleanse for the first three days has been having like millet and stuff and I'm just like oh god millet sounds so good and she's like yeah and I'll probably make a potato I'm like oh god a potato ah you know <laughs> But one of the things that I like about it so far, I mean, it is that um, I'm I'm at a stage earlier now than I have been at at other times that I've done the cleanse, where I can smell food and it smells amazing. But honestly, smelling it is just kind of its own rich reward, you know. 
Like, it's just enjoyable as a thing that you're actually doing, as opposed to the first step into a process of craving that ends up with you eating something. So I'm kind of hoping that I can hold on to that more, that when I finish up the cleanse, that it won't be instantly like, yes and no, pasta sandwiches for everyone. But instead, I can kind of be like eating vegetables and and healthier uh, grains and stuff. And if I have the craving for something a little more outside of that framework, I can just sort of maybe smell it and have that experience with it. Sounds pretty crazy, I know. I know. I, I I kind of understand. I've just realized that I, we're talking about the cleanse, which is what everyone always gets just really upset with us for doing. <laughs> only I think when we a when it goes on for a while, and b when we talk about the very scary things that have happened. Like once we start talking about intestinal sloughing or whatever, people are like, "Ah, no, no, no! That's the best part. Why would you cleanse if you're not going to intentionally snuff?" <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Um, so, any other topics up our uh, sleeves? Yes. Have other first, second books? No. I, uh, not that I've read. I did read Scarlet, which I said on Twitter, but uh, I am honest to God going to write that up for Savage Critic Post properly. Oh, great. Great. Um, I'm really curious to see what you, what you have to say about it. Scarlet? Oh, Scarlet is... I, I will talk about my reaction Scarlet as opposed to explaining my reaction if that makes sense Scarlet when I started rereading which I, I literally it was at the library I didn't put it in order or anything it was just at the library and I was like great I you know I remember reading the first couple of issues of this and hating it I'm gonna read it um, and when I started rereading I was like this this is much better than I thought mm-hmm. this is really good and then two things happened one mm-hmm. All of the narrative tricks that I was liking from Bendis, I was like, this reminds me of, and then that completely fucked me up. Uh-oh. I was like, oh, you bastard, you've totally stolen it from X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even sure he did steal it from them, if that makes sense. I th- but I think it was like something that was out there, and so he might have you know, picked it up by accident. So I'm not even sure he would have read the things that I was like, well, obviously. Um, but the other thing is, it gets this weird charge Scarlet does now. Because the, the thing that starts Scarlet off is her boyfriend is killed by a policeman for no reason, and the policeman gets away with it. There's not even an investigation. Mm. Which, in light of recent events, you cannot, you just can't read mm-hmm. uh, without getting emotionally involved. Do you know what I mean? Like, you immediately start projecting things onto it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that emotional tie to it really carried me through the book. And then maybe 20 minutes after reading the book, I, I started having all these terrible problems with it. <laughs> like my emotional charge had worn off. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, but what about... And then... And oh, God. <laughs> it was so strange. I was so much more... Um, well disposed to the book because of the emotional charge. Right, and then when that wore off, I was then straight back to, "Oh man, <laughs> it was it was a very strange experience." And you really think that that emotional charge came largely because of the the prism of current events, rather than yes, oh, than, com- oh, okay. it completely, completely, okay. um, because there's actually a part where Scarlet goes to find the policeman, and she said, "There's a, like a panel where she's like." 
he's just walking around. You know, he, mm-hmm. my boyfriend is dead, and he's just walking around. And, and how does this even happen? Why is, why is no one saying anything? Mm-hmm. And there's just, I don't know, there's just something about that that I was like, yep. I, I totally know. I, I, I understand that in a way that I didn't before. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, uh, yeah, I feel compelled. I, it, it doesn't make it, it's like, I'm like, I'm almost willing to bet the San Francisco Public Library does not have any copies. So what is the status on Scarlet? Is it a book that's still ostensibly being published or? Yes, it's it's coming. It's uh, The next issue has been solicited maybe next month, maybe the month after. Okay. Uh, like all Bendis creator-owned books, I think we can politely say that the schedule is erratic. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is. I I was wondering if it was erratic or, again, considering because Bendis and Malieve have had a couple of projects where it's like, oh, and we're gonna say this was ongoing, but here is the end. Okay, moving on. Let's never talk of the Spider Woman series again. You know. Um, I was kind of curious if Scarlet had fallen into one of those, like, yes, it's an intensely ambitious story that I'm telling that's going to sweep and ep- it's going to be an epic. And six issues later, it's like, end of book one. And then it's like, six issues later. <laughs> really? Five. Well, six? We... Five. Five. Okay. Wow. Okay. There we go. So, so six yeah. is the one that's currently being solicited. Yes. The other thing is, is uh, really interesting about the collection is. You get scripts. You get scripts the first issue. Oh. Hmm. Um, and that, I think, does not help anyone. <laughs> it actually, helps it, the page count, which I think... Actually, oh, that's true. You also get the scripts of the second issue. Um, but you get wow. actual typewritten script that Alex Maliva sketched over. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, and honestly, I don't think... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that does anyone involved any favors. Interesting. Why? Uh, Why more so than other script pages presentations? I don't know. There's just a there's an excitable tone in Bendis' script, as in mm-hmm. to the notes and the notes to Malieve, Mm-hmm. that feels weirdly at odds with the story. That makes the story feel less sincere. Right. Uh, he name drops the things, the movies that he's ripping off. Um, and also he gives directions that Malieve ignores. Mm-hmm. To to the script's detriment, do you, I mean to the to the product's detriment or Yeah, I think so. Interesting. Um and so it's I mean there's nothing that if you like Scarlet you're not going to see the script and be like, motherfucker. <laughs> but if you're, if you're feeling uncertain about it, I think right. it's very then possible. You, you might look at the script and then you're like, huh? Okay. I don't think it's, I don't think the script will make you feel better about the product. No matter what. Right. Interesting. But sure enough, it bumps up the page count. Yeah, sure enough. Um, yeah. I, whenever I see that stuff, I used to think like, Oh, great. And people are like, yeah, it's like, it's like the book of woven of DVD extras. And now I'm kind of way past that too. Yeah. That's one way to look at it. The other way is page count higher, but not having to pay for the art. So win, win, win. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't know. It's just, yeah, I was much more ambivalent than it was funny because I was, I started reading it actually walking back from the library and I was like, mm-hmm. this is much better. I must have just been in a really bad mood. This is great. I feel really good about reading a Bender's book that I'm really liking. Like, right. you know, it's taking place in Portland. He's obviously passionate about it. This is, you know, I am feeling really happy to be reading this book and getting something out of it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, cut to four hours later. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a bummer. Um, well, on the plus side, thanks to the miracle of the library. You, hey, you, that, do, do you want to know thanks to the miracle of the library? Guess what I have waiting for me at the library? That if it was not pissing rain like molten fire outside right now, <laughs> I, would, I would run away right now and get. I have the oral history of the Avengers book waiting for me at the library. Talk about the Bendis book that I'm really looking forward to. Oh, my God. Really? Oh, yes, my friend. Oh, yes. I am so looking forward to reading that book. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to reading that book. Holy shit. Well, I can't wait to hear about it next week. You're going to have to. I assume even though in Portland it won't won't have stopped raining by then, at some point you will still work out the courage to go outside anyway. It's not actually been – the weather's been okay recently, but today it's just terrible, terrible rain. Really? Well, yeah, we had we've, the, had, we've had some really nice sunny days. Like last weekend was really sunny, but today is just not good. Just not good. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. We that was our case on Tuesday or whatever, and it's been pretty mellow since. So, do you know what else is waiting for me at the library? God damn it! What? No, 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 no. This, this, this is a masochistic one. Spider-Man Chapter One by John Byrne. Oh my God! I. What the fuck is Marvel doing collecting that? Oh, I have to read that. I cannot wait. That Jesus. Was so good. In a terrible that was, way. <laughs> that was, yes. Thanks for clarifying. Man, that bummed me out so much. That was the worst. I remember picking up an issue of that because you've read it and you're just rereading it, right? No, I've read the first issue and that was it. Okay. Well, the second issue, I think, uh, starts with. Um, John Byrne's sort of take behind the scenes about the the issue of Spider-Man where he fight he's fighting aliens. And man, I hate John Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you my wonderful uh, Spider-Man chapter one story as to why I've only read the first issue? Sure. When it came out, which is what, 97? Mm-hmm. 96? Something like that. My girlfriend at the time did not read comics, but was a massive uh-huh. Spider-Man fan. Really, genuinely Spider-Man fan. But what she loved was the original stories. So the essential Spider-Man books were just coming out then. I think maybe only the first one had come out. Uh huh. And I'd gotten her that as a present. And she had read it. And she loved it. Like, she thought it was the greatest thing. Wow, you really- had a girlfriend who loved Ditko Spider-Man? Yeah. Man. Right, keep going. You're like, I want to go back in time and meet this. See, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so she was like, is there anything else that's like that? And oh. chapter one. Oh, crap, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, no. And so one day, she comes with me and I go to the comic store. She's like, what's this? And I'm like, oh, they're redoing Spider-Man's origin. And she's like, oh, that'll be great. <laughs> and she buys it. And she, she was just like... That wasn't great. Like she wasn't <laughs> angry. She was just like, "Oh, that that wasn't very good at all." <laughs> so, so I read her copy of issue one, and then obviously she didn't get any more, and neither did I. Well, let me tell you, I'm really glad she didn't make it to issue two because issue two is really just a classic. Like, 
Really, John Byrne? That's when I realized issue two of of Spider-Man chapter one or the first year or whatever it's called is when I realized the problem with John Byrne is John Byrne was actually a bigger comic book fanboy than I was, like entirely to his detriment, you know? His Fantastic Four run didn't give that away? You know, his Fantastic... No, but that struck me as like John Byrne, the good comics fanboy, the guy who like looked at the original stories and went... Why did these things work? How do we make them work? Here's what we do that where people have gotten away from and 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 let's try and try and recapture that. That is I think perfectly valid f- version of fanboyism. When when you get a chance to redo Spider-Man and your big thing, one of the big things you've been dying to correct for 30 some odd years is who those aliens were and why they never popped up again and also how the vulture can fly you're like oh you fuck you know what i mean like it really is like he you realize that john byrne is the type of guy who's totally like okay here's why i think submariner's trunks were better being drawn before 1963 than post 1963 and there's a way in which that can be awesome if it's not pedantic. And unfortunately, um, John Byrne is he is the madman of pedanticism. It really is terrible, terrible stuff. I, I look I, forward to seeing you read it. Yeah, I, I look forward to seeing you read it. Thanks. Uh, I look forward <laughs> to reading it. <laughs> with your scorn. I know. This has really been the scorn cast. I, I apologize to the listeners. You on planes. You're mean. I am. I'm like a junkyard also, dog. Said, I don't envy you editing this one. Oh, because from when I put down the podcast and run away and, no, well, of course, there's our false opening yeah, and stuff. There's the and, false yeah. opening and there's the, the two breaks where you have to go off and collapse. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is not going to be an easy one to edit. I totally agree with you, my friend. Especially since I'll be editing it while on the cleanse. I'm gonna be like, you know <laughs> oh my god! You should just make like the psychedelic way what episode? Just like fl- <laughs> flange the hell out of her voices. Grum, I'm talking to you through the cleanse. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think, yeah, I think the listeners are going to have to cut us some slack for this one. I, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> In advance, we're always apologizing. People always get upset at us. And, and I know they do. But this one, this one, I think is the one where they're going to be like, "Yeah, okay, this one's deserved." Like all the other ones, they're like, "Stop, stop! You've got no reason." But people are like, "God damn it! Next time, you don't talk to Graham without eating a sandwich." That's just a hard <laughs> and fast rule. I feel that's a perfectly fair rule, to be honest. I have to say, it sounds like a great idea right now. I'm like, "Oh God, a sandwich." <laughs> I have to go. I have to go make some more juice now. <laughs> I know that bombshell. <laughs> exactly. Pray for me, listeners. Pray for Bye. me. <laughs>